Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. And um, our text this morning is from the Gospel of John. A lot of the questions that Jesus asks are recorded in John's Gospel. And in this case, Jesus has been in Jerusalem and he made his famous statement about the, himself as the Good Shepherd. And he did that during one of the festivals, one in the fall, the Festival of the Tabernacles. Then he went back up to Galilee. Then he's back down in Jerusalem for Hanukkah. And this text is recorded from his visit to Jerusalem during the Hanukkah celebration. Now Hanukkah is a celebration of the overthrow of the Syrian overlords led by a man named Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus led a bunch of pigs into the temple and had them slaughtered on the altar. And so this desecrated, of course, because you know how Jews think about pork, at least when anyone is looking. But um, uh, so they, they, uh, the temple was desecrated, and then a man named Judas Maccabeus uh, led a group in rebellion against them, and they managed to conquer the, the Syrians, and they went through a process of rededication that took eight days. And the menorah that the, our, our Jewish friends celebrate at, at, at Christmas time for us is representing the, the amount of oil. They had one day of oil, but it lasted for eight days during the dedication. And so they, Jesus is down there at that time. And that is a time also when there's like a lot of messianic fervor. Because that event was remembered as one in which God's people rose up against the oppressors and drove them out. And so they are, as they look for a Messiah, they're hoping for somebody else to come along and drive out the Romans. And, and when they have this kind of fervor, as they have this kind of fervor, a number of, of phonies had stepped up and claimed to be the Messiah. And in the first century, probably 10 to 12 or more phony messiahs stepped up. And so now, the, Jesus is walking in the portico around the temple, and the religious authorities come and literally surround him, close him in, and have some questions for him. Hear the word of God. can't believe I have to do this. Hear the word of God as it comes to us from the, from the Gospel of John. It was now winter, and Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of Hanukkah, the festival of dedication. He was in the temple, walking through the section known as Solomon's Colonnade. The people surrounded him and asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus replied, I've already told you. You don't believe me. The proof is the work I do in my Father's name. But you, you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. 
I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my Father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Once again, the people picked up stones to kill him. And Jesus said, at my Father's direction, I have done many good works. For which are you going to stone me? And they replied, we're stoning you not for good work, but for blasphemy. You're a mere man, you are a mere man, claim to be God. And Jesus replied, it is written in your own scriptures that God said to certain leaders of the people, I say you are gods. And you know that the scriptures cannot be altered. So if these people who received God's message were called gods, why do you call it blasphemy when I say I am the Son of God? After all, the Father sent me apart and sent me into the world. Don't believe me unless I carry out my Father's work. But if I do his work, believe in the evidence of the miracle, work, miraculous works I have done, even if you don't believe me. When you will, then you will know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Once again, they tried to arrest him, but he got away and left them. He went beyond the Jordan River near a place where John was first baptized and stayed there a while, and many followed him. John didn't perform miraculous signs, they remarked to one another, but everything he said about this man has come true. And many who were there believed in Jesus. May God add his understanding to this hearing of his word. So the religious authorities come out to trap him. They literally physically surround him. They physically trap him. And what they're wanting to know is if he's willing to come right out and say that he is the Messiah. And you can imagine how very ambiguous that term was. Because you had all these whack jobs showing up claiming to be the Messiah. And, and there was all kinds of messianic hope that was a part of Hebrew history. And Messiah meant anointed one like like David. And they were looking for another king like David, somebody who would come in and, and restore the glory of the past. But all of that was so political. And if Jesus said, yes, I am what you are asking, yes, I am the Messiah, then who is to be believed? And which interpretation of those words are to be accepted? See, the reality is, those who came out to see Jesus came to see him because they hated him. They hated him. And because they hated him, they were looking for a crime. They were looking for some way to get him. Now, we know how it's supposed to be. Somebody commits a crime... And you try to find the person that did the crime. But hatred looks for a crime to, be, to have been committed by the person who, whom they hate. It's all upside down. They come out to him. 
because they hate him. And they're looking for him to commit some kind of blasphemous crime. So everything they ask is setting a trap for Jesus. And so Jesus asks a not-so-innocent question. Are you going to stone me? For which of the good works that I did are you going to stone me? Was it healing the blind man? How about feeding the 5,000? Maybe it was from turning water into wine. You're going to stone me for walking on water? Why are you going to stone me? What is your cause? And they came out with this ambivalent charge of blasphemy. At least they got this much right. And that was because you claim to be God. See, the reality is that Jesus went far beyond simply claiming to be the Messiah. He claimed to be the Son of God, and more than that, God with us. This is unanticipated. It's not a part of the messianic strain that is in the Old Testament. It's not a part of what was the messianic hope of the first century. It was far beyond. And in the Gospel of John, John starts his Gospel by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God in the beginning, and the Word was God, and nothing that is made has, all things that have been made through Him, and nothing that is made has been made without Him, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So far beyond some sort of a, a political person, far beyond just one who was going to set up a first century state of Israel, we have Jesus embodying this claim to be God, and not just God, but the pre-existent creator of the universe. And yeah, they want to stone him for that. Because either he's a madman, or he's someone that they never bargained for. So they want to stone him. And Jesus responds, you don't understand because you are not part of my flock. You are not one of my people. This is a very controversial reality, then and now. And that is to say, well, God loves everybody, right? Yeah, of course, God loves everybody. Jesus said in the earlier part of the chapter, not all are part of my sheepfold. And there are some who are not here now that are part of my sheepfold, meaning the whole Gentile world that would be that would be reached at a later time. But, but the implication is that there are those who are part of Jesus' flock and those who are not. And those who are not are not because they do not hear. They don't listen. The Apostle Paul says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. 
And they have turned their ears, their hearts away from God and therefore are in spiritual jeopardy. It's a frightening reality. One that we don't ordinarily talk about. You know, Karl Barth, and I've shared this before, of course, but Karl Barth, the great 20th century theologian, was once asked, as he was in a debate with Paul Tillich about art, architecture, and music. Of course, a lot of the church today is all about entertainment. The rock and roll churches are, you know, 40 minutes of rock and roll and then a 40-minute sermon. But uh, uh, the Apostle Paul, I mean, that, that whole... Uh, debate has been going on for a long time and Karl Barth was asked by Paul Tillich what he thought about having art and architecture rather than these sermons these boring things that are sermons and Karl Barth said in response God can speak through art he can speak through architecture he can speak through Russian communism, and he can speak through a dead dog, and we do well to listen when he does. The question is not what can God speak through, but what has God ordained? And God has ordained his word. The preaching of the word, the proclamation of the word. And when we are not hearing God through the proclamation of the word. And it's not the preacher necessarily, can be. It's not the preacher who is ineffective. It may be a symptom of our hearts. Maybe something going on within us. And I believe we must all regularly question our own hearts. Am I rightly hearing? Am I attentive to God? My hearing the voice of the shepherd. So the, the Lord says, you don't hear me. Those who are part of my flock hear my voice. And I am with them. And they, they walk with me. So, those who are part of the flock of the Lord hear his voice share life with him Jesus matters and 2,000 years away and apart from this and all of the structures and the realities of church life and, and the institutions of the church it's easy for us to to lose sight of the fact that participating in the life of faith means having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. A personal relationship. Not just checking in to a church. Not just getting our, our, our ticket punched on a weekly basis. Just because that's how we were brought up. But to be entering in and participating in the fellowship of God's people. Being children of God. Loving one another, caring for one another, and watching out for one another. And putting a check on our lives when we find ourselves just being hypercritical of what's going on. I was met recently by a man who came up to me and thanked me because 
here on a Sunday morning a couple weeks ago, we prayed for the Catholic Church. Our dear Catholic brothers and sisters are having a hard time, but we are all brothers and sisters together and participating together. We all belong to Christ. We're all part of that same, that same flock. And then, so we hear him, we share life with him, and we walk with him. It's more than obeying him. It's perhaps not a good translation to simply say we follow Jesus. We do. But if we can picture in our minds the, the disciples walking from Jerusalem to Galilee when this is all over, and they're walking along together, they're sharing life together, they are simply walking alongside and with Jesus. Jesus is the leader. And they're walking along. They've got all kinds of opinions. They've got all kinds of view ways of viewing life and viewing things. And they're learning as they go. But they're walking with Jesus. And, and this is the, the challenge that Jesus gives his, his people, his children. And that is that we, we take this faith seriously. Not ourselves. But this faith, the core reality of what is going on here is Jesus' outlandish claim to be God with us. And if God is with us in the person of Jesus, this is an absolutely revolutionary reality that has occurred historically. In brute fact history. Not just in the subjective perceptions of different people. Not just in the sense that, uh, oh, I, yeah, I really feel him too. I really think he's with us. No, Jesus came to us in history as God in the flesh. That's the claim of the church. And when that is the claim, that has claim on you and me. That has the strength, the power to transform us. Now to what end? Jesus said earlier in that chapter, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus doesn't come to, to ruin our lives. He comes so that we might know what the fullness of life is all about. We do a fine job ourselves wrecking our lives. We don't need God to come in and do it. He wants us to have an abundant life. He wants us to know the joy of every new day. He wants us to know the joy of our fellowship. He wants us to love those people who hate us. He wants us to smile at people with whom we disagree. What a concept. He wants us to have a deep and abiding joy in this life. Uphold one another. As the Apostle Paul says, count others better than yourself. Humble yourself as Jesus did before, before his church. 
And it's amazing what happens when we do that. We have the ability in that place where we, we see another human being and think, the Lord, before the foundations of the earth were laid, had that very person in mind and put that person on this earth. And I am amazed and astonished to know that God, before all things, had that person in mind. And as C.S. Lewis puts it, there is nothing that is presented to our senses except for the sacrament itself that is more magnificent than our neighbor, the other. Because embodied in the other, embodied in our neighbor, is the fullness of God's intent in every human being. Now I could go on. You know, one of the joys I have in coaching basketball, I love doing it. And uh, my guys are in the playoffs again this week. But um, <clears throat> these young men, they come in as boys. And I see what God does in their, in their lives. In, the, in a, a few short years, by the time they leave, they're, they're men. They've gone from, gone from pencil-necked little boys to, to young, muscular men. And with these, this group of guys, I'm going to reproduce the DVD that we have of Peter Thomas on the 70th anniversary of D-Day. I'm not preaching to my kids, but I am going to tell them that the game, as I've told them before, the game is not about the game. The game is about life. And what Peter Thomas shared with us was his poem that he wrote the morning of 10 years after he entered Normandy Beach, the morning after D-Day. And what Peter saw was the mayhem left behind, the blood in the sand. And he was 19. 19. Peter and so many others honored those, even some who were 16 years old, on the beaches of Normandy. And what is it really all about? But it's about life. Living life to the full. Living life to the full and, and giving life to the full. In that, somehow in God's economy, which in our terms doesn't make sense, how can we gain it all by giving it all? But that is the reality of the abundant life that is ours in Christ. And that was what he embodied. And he is our 
shepherd. And we listen to hear him so that we might know what this life is really all about. So will you bow with me in prayer? Oh Lord, they, they couldn't stone you. You got away. You went beyond the Jordan to pray. Went to that place that is isolated where you could be alone with your Father. Lord, may we be alone with you so that we might be fully together with one another and that we might participate in the great work that you have initiated and that we might be found faithful. We ask this in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.